that's the only barrel I'm looking for as a reseller and a broker for being clean, tight, wet, and refillable. So one more time, that was clean, tight, tight and wet. And wet. I, I just... <laughs> Tight, tight, tight and wet was fine by me too. <laughs> it doesn't have to be clean. <laughs> it's just like I'll wash it. Cheers. You've stumbled on into the Tap Takeover podcast. Barrel aging has never been more popular in the craft brewing industry than it is today. While bourbon barrels used to age stouts are the most popular version of this pastime, barrels that once held brandy, rum, tequila, gin, and even wine are now being used to enhance beers of all styles. John Gill saw a need to facilitate bringing these barrels to those that need them, and thus he became the barrel broker. And we'll speak with John today about everything you've ever wanted to know about barrels. John, welcome to the Tap Takeover Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, well, let's uh, go around the horn and uh, put some voices with the names. Uh, I'm Alex. Andy here. Jesus. And uh, John with the Barrel Broker. Well, John, uh, we're sitting in your, your Barrel Broker facility, which is a warehouse just absolutely chock full of barrels. Uh, can you tell us about uh, some of the barrels that we're seeing, where, uh, where some of these came from? We've got a wide mixture of this and that here. We have bourbon barrels from a plethora of different suppliers. We have uh, Heaven Hill, Four Roses. Those are our two biggest suppliers right now, but we get uh, twice-filled bourbon barrels, which are technically called uh, premium whiskey. That's a Maker's Mark, some uh, Jim Beam, a bunch of different brands. My, my go-to bourbon barrel brands right now are uh, Heaven Hill. Heaven Hill now seems to be the, the Cadillac of, of barrels that, that brewers are choosing, right? There's a lot of Heaven Hill bourbon barrels being used, for sure. Um, it might be the biggest brand that I'm aware of. They're a huge distillery in Kentucky. But recently I've been buying more uh, Four Roses uh, bourbon. Uh, it's the single barrel, uh, small batch uh, bourbon. Getting them uh, wholesale for a slightly better price. They're super wet. I'm getting them you know, a day or two after they're emptied, which is great. But I'm open to really buying any brands that I think uh, my customers desire. I mean, it's really about what my customers want and need. And um, I'm willing to provide them whatever they want that's a fair price and that's good quality that's really what it comes down to excellent so so before we get into the actual uh inside and outs of the, the actual barrels uh why don't you give us a little bit of your history You're originally from california yeah. um wife relocated with her job back to wisconsin and you came with uh, how did that go and tell us all about the history of the barrel broker in 2001 i started a tour business in san francisco called uh, escape travel tours. I was the owner operator and I was doing a lot of tours uh, based out of San Francisco. And then I uh, moved the business to Sacramento, California, and uh, continued to doing a lot of wide country tours, cycling, vacations, uh, multi sport vacations, team building. But a lot of the stuff was based out of the wine country uh, Napa, Sonoma, Amador County, etc. Then in uh, the end of 2008, the recession hit Northern California with the mortgage crisis, uh, the recession, etc. And I went searching for additional income to uh, supplement the income that I had just lost. 
through the tour business and the recession. What I found was uh, my third opportunity to make money as a little side gig was buying used red wine barrels from Mondavi. Robert Mondavi Winery in Napa was about an hour, 10 minutes away. I took my 15 passenger van, took the seats out, drove it to uh, Mondavi, picked up six 59 gallon red wine barrels for $15 each, brought them back to Sacramento, cut them in my driveway as planter barrels, put them up on Craigslist. I think I sold them for about $35 per half barrel on Craigslist with some photos and some simple descriptions. And that was the the simple, uh, humble beginnings of selling barrels, basically from my side yard, my front yard, and my garage in uh, Sacramento. Then that grew over time as I saw a growing need for not just random old display red wine barrels. People wanted refillable barrels. And mostly it was the craft breweries. Is that something you still do? Um, Provide like planters and things like that and other boutique barrel items for for just regular non-brewing people? Yeah, actually, the barrels in front of us where the the microphones are standing right now, uh, most of these are actually display quality barrels. And what is a display quality barrel? It's a barrel that I sell for non-refill. Why is it display? It's usually had beer in it, and so when they take the beer out, the the value of the barrel drops. This was a bourbon barrel here in front of me, and this white painted head pretty much tells me with with a, a head drilled bung that this was a rum barrel coming out of the Caribbean. That's what they do. They put a hole in the head because they want to fill the barrel in and out of the head. So this was filled with beer from a local brewery, and they brought it back, and, and I, I traded this, they traded this in for a freshly emptied uh, barrel, whether it be bourbon, rye, tequila, what have you, uh, red wine, white wine, and so this barrel has had beer in it. Now, I have an, an abundance of older white wine Chardonnay barrels, these two here, and these never had beer in them, but they've been sitting for too long, and when they sit too long, in my opinion, I need to downgrade them to display quality barrels at a cheaper price for uh, pub tables or different um, activities. Well, as like we do here at the podcast, we're going to try a few beers out. Yeah. And we thought it'd be fun to try out a couple that you've provided barrels for. And uh, you want to tell us about this first one? We had a few different ones here, but we're going to start with... And tell us about how that relationship kind of is going. Yeah, so um, this is a beer line, barley wine ale from uh, Lakefront Brewery. My relationship with Lakefront <coughs> is, is very unique. It's actually good that you brought this beer. When I was first getting started um, in 2010, well, in 2009, it was March of 09 when I started uh, the Barrel Broker. Barrel Broker at gmail.com was really beginnings. The next year, I went to Craft Brewers Conference in San Francisco. It was at the Hilton Hotel, and I saw this this tall guy, kind of goofy, but really nice. His name is Russ Klish. And I, and I, I said, hey, you know, um, Lakefront Brewery, you guys actually on a lake? And he's like, not nah, really, but we're on a river that, you know, connects to Lake Michigan. I said, that's great. My wife is, is from Milwaukee. And so we had a beer at the Hilton Craft Brewers Conference. Then the next year I saw him in San Diego, my second Craft Brewers Conference. There was that same tall guy. He couldn't have been nicer to me, very genuine and liked to chat and, you know, he, he knew I was, you know, trying to grow my business. It just so happens that was May of 2012, May of 2012. So I guess the first year I met him was 11. And then I met him again the next year in May of 2012. Well, it, it just so happens about four days earlier, my wife had accepted a <laughs> job promotion that was going to move us from Sacramento back to her hometown of Milwaukee. Oh, wow. It was very ironic at that point in time. He might have been the first person I told that, hey, 
I am moving the barrel broker from Sacramento to Milwaukee. Uh, we don't know where we're living yet, but my wife has taken a job there. Things have just kind of progressively grown from that point in time uh, between Lakefront, uh, Russ and I. He's been very loyal. He buys a lot of brandy barrels from us for, I think, about four different brandy barrel-aged beers, mostly Heaven Hill bourbon barrels. He's done some twice-filled uh, premium whiskey Heaven Hill barrels, uh, which are technically twice-filled bourbon, but they call them whiskey. And a lot of barrel racks. They put, I want to say, all their barrel-aged beer in our barrels. At one point in time, we were doing some, some red wine and some white wine barrels, um, not much in the last three or four years that I can remember, but uh, they have really ramped up their uh, brandy barrel-aged beers. Those are brandy uh, barrels right over there, the same ones that they buy, and mostly Heaven Hill. But this year, they were my first large customer that took almost a full truckload of the uh, Four Roses bourbon barrels. They took uh, a full truckload, 288. They took, uh, I think, 244, and I brought the other uh, 44 here which mostly went to other local uh, breweries like Eagle Park and uh, Three Sheeps and other Wisconsin breweries. They took the rest of that load um, hmm. right before Christmas. So any insider information on what those barrels are being used for? Maybe the next Black Friday? Yeah, you know, their next Black Friday is actually going into those barrels. Uh, they, uh, oh, they, were, they were delivered um, end of December, and Luther, the head brewer there, said, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to uh, definitely fill those the first or second week in January. And I think they were ready to film them, you know, last week or maybe the week before. That beer is is probably resting nicely for for Black Friday. So um, that's you, a, that's some exciting breaking news right there. Yeah. And we'll be there. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we go next, there every year. Yeah, I was there two years ago and picked up the four pack or yeah, yeah the four pack. Yeah, and um, gave Russ a little gift of uh, some wine barrel staves that he wanted. So um, definitely a a fun day at the brewery. Cool. So what do you what do you uh, taste in this beer? So yeah, back to the uh, beer line barley wine. I mean, this is a big hitter. Any barley wine is. I mean, my my first barley wine was Bigfoot. You know, I went to Chico State University in uh, Chico, California. So Bigfoot's a barley wine, and this kind of brings me back to the days when I was probably drinking underage. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Um, this is really smooth. Um, I, I like it. So you wouldn't know which barrel was used for that then. <sighs> I don't always remember exactly what beers are going into the barrels that I sell them. Um, well, this was a smaller batch, I believe, so it was probably only a couple barrels that went into it. Yeah, because this bottle is, is labeled 045 of 575. So, yeah, 575 yeah, bottles like is, is, is probably not, yeah, a ton. You know, this that would probably be a better question for, for Luther or the brewing crew. I, I wish I had that answer. It's hard for me to keep track because... Uh, I, like I had four four orders go out today to craft breweries. Plus uh, Kyle from eighteen forty came in, so five breweries got barrels for me today, and it's hard for me to keep track of all the names of all the beers that go into different barrels because I, I I have about forty different barrels that I sell, you know, in the course of time. It's a big lot of of Heaven Hill or Four Roses. Sometimes it's like you know one or two from a local craft distillery. So it's kind of hard to keep track of everything. Can you tell us a little bit about like the process? Um... So a brewer comes to you and says, I'm looking for something, or do you say, hey, I got these? And I guess on your end, uh, what kind of kind of homework are you doing with Ebon Hill or whatever? Um, yeah, so basically, I'm not technical when it comes to brewing. Um, I've never brewed a beer. Um, I've made four wines, and so I'm more of a, 
a winemaking background. Uh, I grew up on a, a small family vineyard that my parents still live on in Loomis, California. Uh, I started this business not knowing really much about beer other than I like to drink it, but don't know how to brew it. <laughs> Usually the brewers or the breweries, they pretty much know what they want for the most part. Now, the smaller startups, they kind of come to me asking for, for advice, asking me to be a consultant. It's hard because I don't want to tell them to go with this particular rye whiskey barrel over this bourbon barrel or choose between two brands because I sell Bullet Bourbon and I sell Heaven Hill Bourbon and I sell Four Roses Bourbon among other brands in smaller quantities. There's different flavors that come from different barrels. I try to keep my advice simple. I give them the information that I feel is, is honest about the barrels and the product that comes from them and really let them make the decision. Trying to convince someone to take one barrel over another is maybe risky. The most important thing is, is let them know like, which are my best barrels? What are the freshest? Which ones are here most recently? For instance, these brandy barrels. I told Kyle today at 18.4, I said, look, these barrels have been here a few months. They're not my best barrels, but let's pop the bung. Let's look inside with the flashlight, which he carries one. He's, um, he's a barrel guy. Yeah, yeah he's, got, he's got his pocket knife, just like me on his hip. And so I told him, I said, look, these, these brandy barrels over here have been here for, for two plus months. But I inspected them on January 17th because I wrote it on the, on the bung. And we popped it, and there was still brandy in there. He goes, John, these will be fine. I don't have time to steam the barrel. I don't have time to swell it. There's brandy in here. I'm going to take this barrel. Um, I need to fill this, this barrel along with the uh, twice-filled uh, Heaven Hill uh, bourbon whiskey barrel and the barrel rack. So he came here not knowing what he wanted. We had a conversation. We came to the conclusion that he wanted two affordable barrels, which he got, and a barrel rack. Did yeah. he say what uh, he might be throwing in there? or uh, Was there a particular style of barrel he was looking for? Or it was just a, mm. it was a cost? It's funny. I think I asked him that question, but I don't know if I got the answer. It was pretty hectic. I had, I had a truck driver here picking up four orders while he was here, and he was actually blocking my dock with his truck. So he had to move around front, <laughs> and he's, we self-loaded up the dock, and then he wrote me a check and shook my hand and said goodbye. And I said, I'll, I'll be there on Saturday because I'm going to be at Mobcraft doing a tour. So it was kind of chaotic. So I don't, I don't really know what, what beer he said he was putting in the barrels. I wish I would have found out, though. Awesome. So why don't we just, we like to do little reviews on yeah. the Tap Takeover podcast. Why don't we just go around the horn, say what, what we feel about this beer, um, mm-hmm. and then we can wrap up your history and get to one of the beers you haven't supplied the barrels for. Okay, sure. All right. So for me, I mean, this is a pretty pretty fantastic barley wine. I mean, the rye lends itself well to, to the actual barley wine, and it's, it's tasting pretty darn good to me. I think you need to be, you could uh, age this in your cellar perfectly if you wanted to uh, for two, three years. Yeah, I... I enjoy it a lot too, but I I don't think I would age this one. I, I like it just how it is right now. It's mm-hmm. uh, has that little bit of sweetness uh, that you get from barley wines. Uh, I think the the barrel is subtle and you know it uh, complements it. I yeah I think it's it's perfect right now. Pretty sure that this is a uh, Heaven Hill rye whiskey barrel. Actually, have sixty Heaven Hill rye whiskey, um, Rittenhouse rye that I'm sitting in the corner over there that came in last week. I think it's it's a it's a beautiful beer. It's a it's got a good mouthful. Um, it's smooth. It's easy drinking. It's not too um, boozy. It's 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 easy drinking for a barley wine. Some barley wines are really boozy, and man, they just they hit you right in the mouth. 
Since we, uh, you mentioned uh, about aging, Andy, I mean, what do you think about aging? I mean, they use these barrels, of course, to age the beer a little bit, but uh, what do you think about the process afterwards, letting a bottle sit for another year? You know, different beers age better than others. Everyone's kind of got a different uh, opinion on, should you drink the beer now? And, and some beers age well and some beers do not. My problem is, is... You know, I get to try a lot of beautiful beers, just like these four that are in front of me now, or five. There may be more. Thank you. Thank you for the four or five. I, I see five. Maybe there's a six. I don't know. But This is what we do. Yeah, so. um, I want your job. <laughs> it's funny. I've, I've tried three out of these five that are sitting in front of me now, and I, I think this one, uh, the beer line, would probably age pretty well. But uh, it's funny, I had this conversation with uh, uh, Matt Hoffman from St. Francis Brewery. He was uh, at my house on Friday and Saturday night. We went snowshoeing together. And we talked about aging beers. And he says a lot of people think they can age beers, but it's not doing the beer any good. It, the beer's not getting better. It's, 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 it's not getting better. It's, it's potentially getting worse. Be careful. Make sure you're getting good advice because you're, you're buying an expensive beer, you know, like the Bourbon County Stouts, and is it's drinkable now. It's a really good beer now. I mean, it's a it's a pretty constant theme that comes up on the podcast. Quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, well, this um, this episode's following up uh, yeah. Cellar Call. Yeah, what's going on yep. before it? That's right. So, uh, so we we just recently did a uh, a series of tastings and. One of them was just, uh, let's get some stuff out of the cellar, you know, let's see how it's doing, Uh, one of those kind of tastings. But, you know, it comes up quite a bit. We talked with Anello Malika from Central Waters, and they talked about how we've done the aging for you. You can age it further if you want to. It's a fun experiment. Uh, We've talked with uh, Half Acre uh, was adamant. Do not age these beers. These beers are not meant to be aged. And then, you know, you got other ones like Goose Island where they say, yeah, they they encourage you to sometimes age it up to three years, Mm -hmm. you know. Different beers go into different barrels. I I think this Lakefront uh, beer line is pretty fantastic. I think it uh, for me it's it, it dances right on that line of s- sweet and too sweet, mm-hmm. and so I would n- probably not age this one because it's probably only going to get sweeter. The aging that it's been that's been done in those rye whiskey barrels, I think, has really done it some uh, done it some favors. You know, it's it's complemented the the sweet flavors of the beer. You know, maybe the rye is giving it that little Cut little bit off. of spiciness. You know, to to kind of go with the sweet flavors. But yeah, I'm pretty impressed. Pretty darn impressed with this. Uh, this beer line so yeah let's talk about a beer here like andy said that uh that you did not provide the barrels for so uh a, a way for you to talk about uh you know just the general experience of the the barrel and what it does to yeah. the beer this is a you know one of our favorites a peruvian morning from central waters one of the best barrel aging programs in the country uh jim and i were just there at the 21st anniversary party this past weekend saturday Amazing, amazing party! Amazing, amazing beers. What's uh, you know, what uh, what kind of flavors are you picking out here, and uh, what do, what do you think about uh, their barrel aging program in general? Well, for essential waters, I mean, I knew essential waters when I was slinging barrels in Sacramento. You know, nine, ten, eleven when uh, I was just getting started. A premium brewery. I mean, making fantastic beers. Of course, a pioneer when it comes to barrel aging their beers, especially in bourbon barrels. So now when, when we talked to Anello, Alex brought up before that Anello said he doesn't really care what kind of bourbon or liquid was in the barrel. Mm-hmm. What mattered to him was how long the liquid was actually in the barrel. 
what kind of effect does does the the liquid have on that wood for an extended period of time sitting in it? Good question. I mean, if you were asked people in the bourbon industry, uh, the barrel industry, and the brewing industry, I think you'd get a consistent uh, response, and that is the longer a quality bourbon or whiskey or rye is in a barrel, the better the product's going to be, but the better the barrel's going to be too. I mean, the, uh, the tannins are mellowed, the char is neutralized, the product ages just like a, a fine wine you know, gets better with time. So does, you know, spirits, uh, bourbons, whiskeys. The spirit penetrates the barrel deeper, which means it's going to have a better influence on the beer that rests in that barrel. I think that's pretty much proven and consistent. Obviously, you want a spirit that is is smooth and drinkable, you know. There's a lot of great bourbons and whiskeys out there, rye whiskeys. It, it's pretty consistent that the longer something of a quality spirit sits in a barrel, the better that barrel becomes and the better vessel that barrel will be for that beer. So now do, do seasons and time and temperature, I mean, those all take an effect on the wood too, right? Yeah. If you look at what's happening in uh, Kentucky, these rickhouses, I've learned, the temperatures swing dramatically in Kentucky. I mean, if you look at the winter, they get cold winters down there, but it can get warm too, real quick. I mean, their fluctuations are dramatic, not just in, you know, the winter, but year round. And these are not temperature controlled, uh, humidified facilities. And that's what makes, you know, Kentucky bourbon so special. It's it's the, the heat and the temperature and the humidity going up and down really has a positive effect on the spirit in those barrels. It's hard to explain. Well, it's it's almost like a living organism, you know, like a living, breathing organism. Because you know, the the whiskey goes in when it gets cold, right, and then it yeah. and then it comes back into the barrel when it gets warm and humid. So I mean, it's it's ba- it's in and out, and you know, so that's that's what seasons those barrels so so beautifully. Yeah, the expansion contraction with the heat and the cold and the humidity and the lack of humidity. Yeah, these rickhouses are designed to have that effect. There's, there's no temperature control, there's no insulation, and it, it, gets, it gets cold down there. I mean, it's, it's really cold here right now. Well, speaking of getting cold, uh, it sounds like the heater kicked back on. So, uh, <laughs> you know, bear with us here on the podcast. This is a, this is a working, uh, you know, barrel house. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we have, have some uh, 54 degrees inside and about zero, maybe minus five outside. So the, the heater is got to do its thing. Yeah, we should mention this is one of the coldest nights uh, that it, there has ever been in Wisconsin. It's going to be minus 20 and minus 50 with the wind chill tomorrow. We're all looking forward to that and uh, having some winter warmers <laughs> right now. Uh, so, Jesus, tell us about uh, what we're drinking and uh, what are you getting out of the Peruvian morning here? Well, Peruvian morning is one of my favorites of uh, the Barrel Age series. And I think it's amazing how um, it's a readily available Barrel Age beer. And that's what makes Central Waters, I think, for me, special, is that you can go and they constantly are having their their barrel each years out. Uh, for me, Peruvian Morning is just a smooth beer. Barrel, again, complements it, but the, the star is the, the stout in there. It's a, it's a smooth beer. It's a complex. 
it's one almost of those, like a coffee kind of. Uh, well, it's one of those rare coffee yeah. stouts where even when the coffee has kind of fallen off, because this was that last spring, still I think this on. one came yeah, out. The there's still a little bit of coffee off. there, but I, I don't know. Everything else is really shining, even when the coffee has fallen off a bit. Andy, what do you think? I mean, there's there's not much more we can say about Central Waters. I mean, we love those guys, and now that they're able to produce beers like this to scale, barrel aged beers to scale, where we can still find them on the shelf in Wisconsin. I mean, it's just a, a great fucking time to be alive. You, know? <laughs> I mean, you, don't, you don't have to wait in line weather like this. Yeah. You can just go get it. Yeah. I got a question. Um, on the label, it says, um, you know, malt beverage. Malt beverage. Any idea why they, they call it a malt beverage um, when they could call it a coffee stout? I think they're skirting some laws. <laughs> it might be uh, the amount, like the, the ABV mm. on it. It might be too high. I think they, they they went that way just after we interviewed them. I believe is is pretty much everything on their labels now that's over a certain ABV is considered a malt beverage. Right. Yeah, that is that is a fairly recent development. And uh, yeah, I would actually I would love to sit down with Anello and uh, Simon and, the, and you know some of the guys from Central Waters and ask them that question because I, I think it is an interesting decision to have gone that way. And uh, fairly recent. It's about time for a revisit too, right? Yeah, absolutely, it is. Hey, Seuss, um, how long do you think? the coffee hangs on for in a coffee stout because I mean I've I, I heard this conversation everyone wants to brew their beer <laughs> with fresh ground coffee beans and they, they steep it what are your thoughts well on honestly that? from our like experimenting it falls off six to eight months I mean it, it's it's quick so if you're aging one for a year a, a coffee stout barrel aged coffee stout or something like that it's going to fall off. And it gets that uh, almost like a cardboard yeah, it gets taste. A, it uh, oxidizes Yeah, it oxidizes. Um, it, it can gets, get a little gets, acidic. Yeah, yeah. It gets pretty bitter sometimes, too. But <clears throat> this is not happening with this beer at all. And for some reason, I mean, just maybe it's the seal on the bottle. I don't know. But that, yeah. uh, the Permian Mornings held on very aware. Very so it's just a well-made beer, yeah. Is there a general rule of thumb? Like, if it's a, a coffee stout, I mean... How soon should you be drinking it after it's packaged? Well, I would say with any adjunct, anything that's added to the beer after the beer has been brewed, there's going to be an extreme drop-off typically within the first uh, six months, would you guys say? Yeah. It becomes a totally different beer. I mean, it can put, you know, Goose Island, for example, their, their coffee stout... Fresh, fresh out of the fresh out of the gate, the Bourbon County coffee, which they didn't do this past year, but in previous years, within the first month, it's a completely different beer than what it is two, three months down the road. That's interesting that you notice the difference in two or three months. Yep. Yeah. I, I had one a couple of years ago, like literally three weeks after they released it, and then I tried it again six months later, and it was a completely different beer. Yeah, it's why brewers like um, uh, Ale Asylum, you know, they they don't like to use adjuncts at all. Uh, you know, they they like to keep it as pure as possible. You know, as, as they like to say. So uh, I think this is a good time to take a little break, uh, regroup a little bit, and uh, let's pour some more beers after some beer news. Welcome to Beer News, certified fresh as of February 21st, 2019. This week's easily accessible beer is Revolution Brewing's Freedom of Press. Freedom of Press is an easy-drinking, fruit-forward beer with a lightly tart character and dry finish. 
Revolution balanced black currants and natural souring to give the beer a refreshing drinkable character and imbue its signature pink and purple hue. It comes in at a light 4.5% ABV and perfectly balances sweet and tart for a uniquely bracing finish. In beer news, Eagle Park continues their crazy schedule with yet another beer release this weekend. First up is Mr. Boombastic in Cans and Draft, an overfruited Berliner Weiss with passion fruit and mango at a lovely 4%. The Needler, also in Cans and Draft, this is a New England IPA with Chinook hops that give this beer prominent notes of pine and subtle citrus, coming in at 8%. Slow Ride, Draft and Crawler Only. This is a New England IPA with flaked rye, Falconer's Flight, and Citra hops. Member pickup is on Friday, February 22nd. Limit of one four-pack of each per person. 1840 Brewing also has an exciting release this weekend with Science, an experimental blonde hoppy ale brewed with a new yeast strain, Y20, that produces terpenes during fermentation, 5.25% ABV. Also being released this weekend is Cross-Eyed and Painless, a double IPA, hop-bursted and double dry-hopped with Comet, Citra, and Mosaic, brewed with tons of oats, wheat, and dextrin malt for a creamy mouthfeel. This bad boy comes in at 9.9% ABV. In brewery news, for our Madison listeners, there's a brand new brewery in town, Delta Beer Lab, opened on Monday, February 18th. If you stop in, let us know what you think of the newcomer. In festival news... Black Husky is teaming up with Hot Tamale 414 to bring you a beer and tamale pairing event on Thursday, February 28th from 6 to 9 p.m. Tickets are $20 in advance or $25 a day of. And this has been Beer News. Hi, welcome back. This is uh, John with The Barrel Broker. Uh, We are with the Tap Takeover podcast. And I think it is time for another beer. So you guys want to get a little weird? Here's a here's a beer that was aged in a bourbon barrel, <laughs> and that's about the only thing it has in in connection with some of the other beers that have been aged in in barrels. This is the Dragon's Milk Reserve Banana Coconut Bourbon Barrel Aged Stout with real banana and natural flavors. This is a little weird. <laughs> Andy, I think you were talking about the Bananas Foster, the uh, the Goose Island uh, 17 prop, and how that's kind of, I don't know, it, it's kind of caused some imitators? Uh, yeah, I think it really has. I mean, kudos, kudos to Quinn over at Goose Island, because he created a fad. He really did. Uh, his was very well done. Very well done. I'm going to repeat that, because all the imposters I've tried afterwards just haven't been up to snuff with it. Uh, I mean, this is... A little bit sickly banana sweet for me. It's, I mean, they say they put real bananas in it too, but to me, it's you know, it's like they tossed a shit ton of banana candy in it and some toasted coconut. Well, it says uh, with real banana and natural flavors. So yeah, you wonder if there was a, a little bit of an adjunct banana added as well, or if the uh, the natural flavors was maybe the coconut. I don't know. Uh, we'd have to look into it. Uh, I do like banana. I really like banana. One of my favorite candies is a banana now and later, you know, from when I was a kid. And if you like banana as much as I do, there's there's something to like about this beer. But if you like banana just a little bit, this might be way too much banana for you. Jesus, where where do you come down on this one? I actually was, I mean, you said basically what I was thinking. It, it's not terrible. It sounds weird. The description is weird. But I also love bananas. And I think the bananas, 
if you didn't like it, it's overpowering. It's a little too sweet, but I like the banana taste. I mean, what about you, John? Because for me, I'm really not getting any barrel on it. <laughs> good, good question for the barrel broker. So the uh, um, Dragon's Milk Reserve Banana Coconut. My wife, uh, Kathleen, the uh, chief barrel babe. <laughs> Official title? She hates that title, but I gave her that title because I'm the chief barrel guy. And uh, she joined the barrel broker a little over four years ago after leaving the corporate world, which brought us to Milwaukee. So it's all good. She makes these uh, banana pancakes probably four or five mornings a week. They're delicious and they're healthy. When she turns her back one of these mornings, I'm going to dump some of this in there <laughs> into the batter <laughs> and uh, surprise her. I want to try the pancakes too after I surprise her. I'm not going to give them all to her. <laughs> it's, it, it's got a sweet finish. I don't know where the sweetness comes from. I mean, bananas are sweet. I wonder if it's like a banana extract or if it's all natural. Um, I'm looking at the label here and uh, with real banana and natural flavors. It tastes almost a little too banana. So it makes me think that there might be some sort of... uh some sort of natural banana flavor that's not actually banana in there, even though there is bananas. And, and I think that's where it becomes a little bit confusing, where you're like, no, I do taste bananas, but it's like too much banana, you know, and it, it makes your brain do right. weird it's things. It's got to be some fake flavoring in there, because unless yeah. they bought like three semi-loads of, you know, storm-damaged bananas. bananas you know? <laughs> so this was bottled um, September 7th of 18. I mean, I, I wonder how this ages, you know, we're... Working four months in, you know, I wonder how the the banana and the coconut age. Yeah, I think I picked these up uh, probably two months after uh, after the bottling date. You know, just at a local liquor store, and you know, I, I was pretty interested in trying them. Like I said, I like the banana flavor. Um, and at two months, the the banana might have been a little bit stronger than it is mm-hmm. right now. You know, we, what we found uh, with a lot of the adjuncts uh, that people add to beers is. Uh, the more adjunct heavy a beer is, the least likely those flavors are to age well. Yeah. You know, there's a certain balance when the uh, when the brewer puts it out. You know, they like to say they've aged it for you. It's perfect. And with the adjuncts, it starts to – some of the adjuncts fall off. Some become more powerful. And, and just the balance itself uh, seems, to, uh, seems to be off on some of those beers. Uh, other ones – get even better with age so you never quite know and that's why we like to do those aging experiments you know yeah. put put drink a beer now and then put a couple in the uh in the cellar to uh, to age them and i've never personally sat on a beer with bananas oh. so i have no clue how that would yeah. i mean coffee would be one thing or these other ones that we've tried a lot of but the banana part i just don't know how that would I'd, be i'd be interested to know what a what a prop 17 is tasting like now what that bananas foster is tasting like i can't think it's held up it's well, still but. trading well i mean the, the banana's kind of cloying in it it just sort of sits there on your palate mm-hmm. coconut's a nice touch for the finish but like like i say asked before i said are any of you getting any barrel off of that beer whatsoever? Not much at all. No, no. no. I'm getting banana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, not even getting coconut. Honestly, not that I much. I had some on the back end. It's it's and mostly the, banana. And then the banana over yeah. overwhelms it. So I, I would say uh, I don't know a bit of a fail with this one. <laughs> Definitely not my favorite <laughs> of the night. But I think it leads us into a really interesting conversation because something that New Holland is doing, uh, they've gotten into a distilling program as well. So there's New Holland Distilling, there's New Holland Brewing, and one thing that they've begun to do, and and John, I, I think you'd be interested in hearing this, is is they're taking beer that's been aged in 
bourbon barrels, and then they're taking those barrels and then aging distilled liquors into them. So, you know, the, the big trend is for a bourbon barrel-aged beer, and now they're doing bourbon barrel beer whiskeys. You know, it's, it, it's getting kind of weird. What, uh, what are your thoughts on, on that kind of trend? So I've seen this trend for a while. Everyone's trying to be unique as a winery, a brewery, a distillery. Everyone's trying to set themselves apart from their competitors. It's a beautiful thing. People are innovating. They're trying new things. It's not always working, but it, it works sometimes. And when it works, it could be a beautiful thing. I understand why if you're a brewery like New Holland and you have a great brewery and you want to open a distillery, share the barrels back and forth to finish your products. Uh, you have a great beer in a barrel. Why not put your spirit in there and see how the spirit reacts with the beer in that barrel? I think they're doing it for two reasons. One, flavor profile. Two, uh, marketing. Uh, marketing's a big part of, oh, yeah. of you know beer, wine, and spirits. Trying to do something different, trying to do something unique. I started Instagram because I, I want to market my product. We just got started about six weeks ago. You know, how do I showcase my product by trying to be unique with how I put that product on Instagram? And uh, where can our uh, listeners find you on Instagram? Yeah, Barrel Broker One on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So any, any early success stories from uh, your sales platform? I mean, it's really is a sales platform for you to, to reach out on social media like that. People who previously weren't aware of the Barrel Broker, uh, we're in our 11th year, and um, it's, been, it's been a fun roller coaster. You know, I started as a home winemaker in Sacramento who needed to make money, and I bought barrels at Mondavi. A lot has changed since that time, and uh, we've evolved with the industries that we're involved with, which is craft brewing uh, primarily, and then uh, craft distilling and winemaking. Uh, we work with other businesses and individuals. I, I see those three niches evolving, craft winemaking, brewing, and distilling uh, evolving. It's fun to watch the trends, you know, follow the trends, or even try to be on top of the trends with what our customers are looking for. Used barrels, which is what we do. New and used and refurbished barrel racks. That's our niche. And um, I'll continue to evaluate what's happening in the marketplace that we're in. But craft is at the core of our business. Um, you know, the evolving craft breweries, wineries, distilleries are the, are the customers that we enjoy working with most. I think they are our core business. And it's got to be interesting, as a businessman who deals in barrels, to see that kind of symbiotic relationship that's being developed between the breweries and the distilleries. You know, when you see the barrels going back and forth between the two, so it's second, third, fourth use, who knows? That's got to be really exciting as a businessman who deals in barrels. I've seen a new line of Jameson that's coming out now, with uh, that's been out for a while. With, uh, oh, with the stout. Yeah, exactly, with, with beer barrel-aged uh, Jameson and those kind of things. So it seems like it's not just an american thing now it seems like everybody's getting on board with the power of the barrel you know there, there's a power in the barrel that's able to change a very good beverage into sometimes a an exquisite beverage so i think without uh, further ado here let's let's get on to our next beer sure uh, so let's get one in the that you provided the barrel for 
So the next one is uh, the second anniversary stout from the Explorium Brew Pub in uh, Greendale, Wisconsin, over at Southridge Mall. Uh, I've actually tried this recently. This just came out this past weekend, and I was pleasantly surprised. It's uh, it's very, very good. So it's a non-adjunct stout that was aged in, a, in barrels that aged cinnamon whiskey, vanilla extract, and then maple syrup. All right. Oh, I heard about this one. Yeah. So for a non-adjunct stout, <laughs> I mean, I thought it carried all those flavors very well. Yeah, so as we pour this, let's talk about what this barrel is doing to the beer and your relationship with the Explorium. Been doing some business with uh, Mike Doble, the uh, proprietor, owner of uh, Exploring Brew Pub. Hashtag mall beers. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to uh, remember that next time. Uh, Mike. It's Mike's favorite hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> buys some of our barrels. I'll have to hashtag that. Yeah, this is, the, this is the first time trying this beer, so I'm going to have to take a sip and uh, contemplate what I'm uh, tasting. It's a barrel aged uh, Imperial Stout. At uh, 13%. 13.5. 13.5. Oh. Big hitter. oof <laughs> So how many barrels do you provide for uh, Explorium? So I, I see Explorium and Mike and his, his uh, guys here probably every two to three months, it seems like. They, they come over in their van, come in here, we drink some barrel broker whiskey, we shoot the shit, talk about barrels and what he's looking for. John, can you please tell me about a barrel <laughs> that, that aged a cinnamon whiskey yeah. and then a vanilla extract and then finally maple syrup? What the hell happened to that barrel? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I think we, we've chosen a beer here that came from somewhere else. Because um, I remember vaguely that Mike um, told me about this, this, this barrel. That barrel didn't come from us. Oh, okay. Um, which, um, but you have you've supplied a number of other barrels to the Explorer. Yeah, he told me about that that cinnamon whiskey and maple. We've done a lot of uh, maple syrup barrels out of Vermont. This particular barrel that you just read off the back of the label mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. If I could find those barrels, I would buy them and I'd sell them. What, the, what do you think the, the barrels added to the beer? Do, are you picking up the, any of the cinnamon and the vanilla and the, the maple? <laughs> There's Anybody a lot going on here. For, 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 yeah. non, for zero adjuncts added to that, I'm, I'm picking up all those in varying amounts. I mean, obviously the cinnamon's right up front. Yeah, he brewed a good base beer yeah. to, uh, to pick up all those flavors. And at 13.5, I mean, it's got the backbone to have uh, a lot of flavor. This is a fantastic beer. I mean, I think this is my favorite of the um, uh, four or five that we've had this evening. What do you guys think? I was pleasant, I'm yeah, pleasantly I'm, surprised I'm because there is a lot going on in this beer. Hey, that's, that's fair. I told, I told Mike the other day, him and, him and Kyle knocked it out of the park on this one. It's, yeah. Andy I'm, pulled an audible, so he's got a very special beer to end this whole thing. But uh, That's his tops I, for the night so far. I got to say, yeah, this is, this is right up there. I, I, you know, 1A, 1B with the beer line for me. Yeah. Uh, that beer line uh, barley wine is pretty fantastic <laughs> as well. So... Um, Tell us more about how you source barrels. I mean, obviously, you came came up in the wine industry in California. You're going to have connections there. How did you build connections um, within the bourbon industry? Without giving away too many secrets. Yeah. <laughs> I was strictly doing used red and wine bar- red and white wine barrels and barrel racks in uh, Sacramento. Knowing that we were living in Milwaukee, um, we were close to 
really good sources of spirit barrels. You know, bourbon, whiskey, rye whiskey. Certainly closer than Sacramento. Yeah. yeah. yeah and absolutely. I've been following the trends since March of 09 when I started the business. What was happening with craft brewing? And I knew craft breweries were really experimenting a lot at the time with a lot of different type of barrels. And now I was close to these type of barrels. So I knew it was important to develop relationships with suppliers of these barrels. It's not easy. You're in a new uh, state, a new part of the country. I was basically a little over three years into the business. And, you know, who can I trust? You know, who's going to be my suppliers? Who's got good barrels? You have to prepay for these barrels. And you have to pretty much prepay for the freight. And the freight is non-refundable if the product shows up, you don't like it. So there's some risk involved. Part of it's doing your homework with um, Distilleries Direct, um, both local and far away. Craft distilleries and and, and macro or the big guys. Um, You know, some names we've already mentioned in the podcast. Part of it is kind of doing your homework making sure that the people you're, you're working with are honest, reputable. They're going to give you what you want, give you the barrels that we need for our customers to make our customers happy so they come back and buy again. It's not easy. Anybody in this business who is a risk taker has been burned. You know, I've been burned. My competitors have been burned. Everyone's been burned if, if you roll the dice and, and taken a chance because not everyone's good. That's part of the beauty of working with a reseller, a broker, like like us, the barrel broker or anybody. So it's sort of like a lesson learned situation, right? When you get when you get burned. Right. You you, you know who's good and you know who's not good. Been doing this we're on our eleventh year now. I take on the risk for our customers, essentially. I roll the dice, I buy product or new product um, sight unseen all the time so when how do you how do you differentiate though i mean when you when you look at a barrel how do you how do you tell if it's a good barrel what are what are some of the key signals for you as to okay i know this barrel is going to produce a good beer and oh i know this is going to create seepage and be terrible you don't really know what you're getting until you see it it arrives on our loading dock here in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. First thing is, you do your research on the brand. Everyone's got a brand when it comes to wine or beer or spirits. You figure out, okay, if it's a spirit barrel, you know, what's the brand? What's the product in that brand? When's it emptied? How quickly is it on a truck coming to our facility? And then as soon as it arrives, I'm gonna look at the barrel, I'm gonna pop the bung, I'm gonna look inside with a flashlight, I'm going to smell inside, and then I'm going to decide, is this a good barrel or not? And if it's a good barrel, I'm going to bung it, and I'm going to put it as, put it over here. If it's not a bad barrel, I'm going to put it over there, and I'm going to keep them separated. And um, the good barrels go to breweries, wineries, distilleries, and the barrels that I don't like end up being tables where our microphones are sitting right now. <laughs> I want to talk about the, the range of how far you send barrels out. Because uh, you're buying them from all over, but how far do you go out? So when, when barrels come in, this is what I'm looking for. So wine barrels, red and white wine barrels, they come in 
dry. There's no liquid in red and white wine barrels because the alcohol is so low that if there was, you know, 11, 12, 13% alcohol in there, the barrels would go funky. Something that, that some new craft brewers or uh, people who do barrel aging aren't aware of. They, 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 want, they want wet wine barrels. I'm like, well, no, wine barrels, you don't want them wet. You want them clean and dry, but recently emptied, nothing funky going on inside. Then you have spirit barrels. Spirit barrels have higher alcohol inside, so you want them wet because it keeps them clean, tight, and wet. And the best way to inspect both would be just pull the tape or the Dixie cup or the bung on a wine barrel, look inside with a flashlight and smell. And does it smell uh, fresh like, you know, red wine, Cabernet, or sweet-smelling Chardonnay? That's the first thing that I look for as a winemaker. Moving over to the spirit barrels, different ball wax, um, so to speak. Um, Spirit barrels should be wet. Um, If they're not wet, doesn't mean it's not a good spirit barrel, but it's not as good as a wet one. Like a red flag, a warning sign, maybe. Not all distilleries are going to send out barrels with visible liquid in there, even though they were emptied yesterday. Uh, you, You hope that they will, because 115 to 135 proof spirit in a barrel is a beautiful thing for the following reasons. One, at that level of alcohol, nothing bad is going to grow in there. Two, it's going to stay clean, tight, and wet. That means that barrel's not going to leak. It's going to have a positive influence on your beer, wine, or spirit. And that's what people are looking for. I mean, it's amazing how many bourbon barrels are being used for red wine. Robert Mondavi, his winery is doing a lot of bourbon barrel-aged wines. And so I don't know anybody on the planet that doesn't want a clean, tight, wet, with visible liquid spirit in their barrel. That's the only barrel I'm looking for as a reseller and a broker for being clean, tight, wet, and refillable. So one more time, that was clean, tight, tight and wet. And wet. Actually, I just, <laughs> tight, tight, tight and wet was fine by me, too. <laughs> it doesn't have to be clean. <laughs> it's just like, I'll wash that shit off. All right. Talking about you get, you get these barrels from all over the place. All different kinds. What is the range? I mean, how far do you actually sell them? So now you, you bring them in, you bring them in-house, mm. you're selling them to the warehouse. Um, where do they go? I mean, is it just, we've tried two beers mm. from friends of the show, Explorium and Lakefront, mm-hmm. but how, uh, how far do you go with these? I try to do uh, deliveries local myself. I have a, a, a cargo van and a cargo trailer and deliver barrels to a lot of our Wisconsin customers myself because I love visiting breweries, as you guys do, because that's um, your hobby. <laughs> and you guys love your hobby, obviously. Big it's an expensive hobby, but uh, it's a fun hobby. <laughs> it's a fun hobby, yeah. But yeah, my reach is about two hours. I mean, I, I go up to Oso Brewing and then down to Chicago, and that's about my reach. We have a loading dock to my right, and that loading dock pretty much services the world. Four shipments went out today to four different customers in four different states. Tomorrow, we're going to ship to uh, Jim and Dad's Brewing in Taiwan. That'll be oh, our, wow. our third order with them. 
in December and January, we, sh- we shipped to Hong Kong. Got to be the furthest you've sent, right? Yeah, Hong Kong is, uh, you know, once you start going to Asia, it's, you know, three pallets is, is north of $1,000 in yeah, freight. Other um, side of the world. We've shipped to all 50 states, only a couple to Alaska. You know, we, I, I, I personally enjoy shipping or delivering to our Wisconsin breweries. I mean, that's, that's where we live. This is where we work. This is um, what I'm most passionate about, but we don't discriminate. We have product that we can ship to people who want it all over the world. And um, it's a beautiful thing. If they got the means to pay for shipping, they pay the same price for the product. It's nice seeing great beers, wine and spirits come out of our barrels, you know, worldwide. Yeah, it's got to be nice uh, shipping local, though. Those, those margins have to be a lot, lot tighter, wetter, <laughs> cleaner. Yeah. 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 Longer, faster. By the way, speaking of local, we welcome all of our customers to come in, visit our facility, meet myself, the cheap barrel guy, pull a bung, sniff a bung hole, you know, do whatever it takes to find the barrel that you want. Take it home. We're happy to deliver for a fee, and uh, we, we deliver to our local customers. And I love visiting breweries, so give us a call. Uh, shoot us an email. Visit our website. We'd love to uh, drink some whiskey, your beer at our warehouse. Let's do it. Actually, I got a couple more questions. Uh, you were talking about all these deliveries to, like, Asia now. How did those contacts come about? Well, the World Wide Web is a beautiful thing. Repeat referral business has been great for our business. You do what you say, and you do what you do. And people will get the barrels and the racks that they want, and they will be happy. You deliver on your promise, and they will buy from you again, and they will refer you to their friends, their family, and you know whoever. And uh, we're, we're thankful and grateful for all our customers. We work hard. We stand behind our product. I think we have some of the best barrels in the industry. We've worked hard with our supply chain to get there. So on the opposite end of, of what you were just talking about and where you've shipped barrels, yeah. what's the furthest you brought barrels in from? California. I mean, uh, the central coast of California, Monterey, is, is what, 2,200 miles? You know, there, there's no reason to bring in barrels from, you know, Asia. We have brought in cognac barrels, but we do it through a third party here in the United States, as well as Sauternes. You know, France is further, but they originate with our supplier here in the United States. So about 21, 2200 miles from California. But if you look at the, the, the cognac and the Sauterne, they're coming from France. All right. Well, as the, uh, as the heat uh, comes up on us, uh, I, I think this is a good place to end. Uh, John, thanks for uh, taking us through your barrel warehouse. Uh, thanks for you know, letting us uh, take a little, a little brief interlude into what it means to be a barrel broker. I, I think it's absolutely fascinating. This has just been a, a real treat for us. I appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate your time making it out to our place when it's super cold. If anyone wants to get a hold of us, we are barrelbroker.com info at barrelbroker.com is my email we're by appointment in Menominee Falls Wisconsin for those who are local hey you're, you're putting the good beer into the good barrels and uh, we, we call that doing the Lord's work around here but it does look like we're out of beer for now so, uh, so I think that'll do it for me for Alex Andy here Jesus and John with the barrel broker 
All right. And uh, to hear all about uh, a number of the breweries that we've uh, featured in this episode, Lakefront, Central Waters, Explorium, New Holland, uh, make sure to uh, check back with uh, some of our back catalog. And this has been another solid non-fail production. <laughs>